Matthew chapter 16. Once you have found Matthew 16, if, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 16, and we'll be reading one verse together this morning, verse 24. Verse 24. Let's read it together. Here we go. Ready? Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If many man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, let's uh, look at that phrase there in the middle of the verse, let him deny himself. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Are you denying yourself? Are you denying yourself? Uh, That's a hard-hitting question. To the ability that I can deny my flesh and my flesh's desires, especially the ones that are sinful, to that same ability, I can then carry my cross and follow Jesus. And so we're going to take a deep, deep dive into this topic this morning and look at the difference between being led by the flesh and being led by the Spirit of God. And we're going to look at this in several different angles, several different aspects. And my prayer this morning for each one of us is that we would be honest with ourselves. Can we do that this morning? Can we be honest with ourselves? We all got up this morning, and, and everyone that I'm looking at looks like you stood in front of a mirror before you came to church. Amen? You took some time, and you got yourself put together. But what do we look like inside? Right? What do we look like inside? Is the flesh in charge, or is the spirit in charge? And I want us all to be honest with ourselves. I believe everybody in here, in one area or another, including myself, The flesh is in charge. The flesh is in charge. And if we're not willing to deny ourselves, we can't take up our cross and be the the disciple of Jesus. We cannot take a stand for Christ if we're not denying ourselves. Let's pray this morning. Lord, help us as we dive into this concept. Lord, to be willing to begin to make the changes necessary. Lord, whether this is our first week at White Oak, or we've been here for 40 years. Lord, may this just not be another sermon. Help us, Lord, to be honest and to do business with you today. Lord, the darker the night grows, the brighter our light is to shine in this world. But oftentimes our light is dimmed by our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness. Lord, help us to wipe away the the muck and the dirt and the smog of sin so that the light of the Holy Spirit can shine bright in this dark world. And Lord, we can affect this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, guide my lips. Help me to say those things you'd have me to say. Keep me from saying that which you'd have me not say. May we leave here today determined to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, throughout history, there have been many people who were excellent at taking a difficult topic and delivering it in a way that was simplistic and enjoyable. I enjoy listening to people who can take a difficult topic and make it simple because I am a simple-minded person. Amen? How many of you are with me on that? You're a simple... How many are sitting next to a simple-minded person? All right. Um, I heard someone say one time, the job of a preacher is to take profound, deep thoughts and wrap them in simplicity. He illustrated this by saying that 
if you want to get a, take a dog and feed them a pill, they have medicine they need to take in the form of a pill, you can spend all day trying to force that pill down that dog's throat, and you're probably going to get bit, and you're probably going to end up very frustrated. Or you can take that pill, and you can wrap it in a piece of salami, and you can feed the dog the salami and get the pill down his throat quite easily. What is the goal of public speaking or the goal of trans, uh, tr uh, translating a thought? It's the, my goal each week to take truths that are profound, wrap them in salami, not bologna, amen. I don't want to give you bologna. Uh, salami uh, or beef and get that, get that into your spiritual heart. In essence, what I'm trying to do is take the truths off the pages of the Bible and get them into your heart and get them into the practice of your life. That is the goal. That is the goal. That you're not just a hearer of the word, but a doer only. Jesus was a master at this. Jesus, when he spoke, used lots of illustrations. He spoke uh, uh, with his audience right where they lived. Uh, he used earthly things, earthly objects that they could relate with. And he helped use those things to help explain eternal truths. Over and over and over again, Jesus said this phrase, The kingdom of heaven is like unto, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, and just illustration after illustration to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Look back at Matthew 16 and verse 24. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Look at how plain this is, how simplistic this is. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He, said, he says here, if you want to be on my team, then here's what you need to do. You need to come after me. Uh, there needs to be a desire in your heart to come after the Lord. You, you need to deny yourself. We'll talk about that uh, through, throughout the message this morning. You need to take up your cross. We looked at that topic last week, and you need to... Follow me. Follow me. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time talking about coming after Jesus and taking up your cross last week. This week I'd like for us to consider the, that little phrase found right there in the middle of the verse where Jesus says, let him deny himself. What does it mean to deny yourself? What does that mean? Now, we're living in a day and age where most churches in America don't want to talk about denying yourself. They want you to feel as though you can ha have everything the world has to offer and be a good Christian by showing up on Sunday and going to church. But that's not what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24. He said, if you're going to be a true Christian, then you need to learn how to re repeatedly deny yourself and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. The story is told of a mom who walked in and found her son with his hand hovering over an open cookie jar. The mom walked in and said with a sharp tone, Son, what are you doing? And his response was this, I'm learning how to deny myself. I'm learning how to deny myself. Uh, many people want to live right on the edge of sin. Right on the edge of sin. Well, I didn't do wrong. Uh, listen, I'm just going to tell you, if you want to live on the edge of sin... More often than not, you're going to end up tripping and falling into sin. Tripping and falling into sin. Um, an immature Christian always likes to ask this question. Well, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? And a mature Christian asks this question. What's right with it? What's right with it? Are we denying ourselves? Are you 
denying yourself. I propose that many Christians are only interested in a version of Christianity that does not infringe on their flesh. They want to come to church on Sunday and look the part, talk the part, and act the part in front of the brethren, uh, and then the rest of the week enjoy the leadings of the flesh and its sin. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, then you must deny yourself. Christian, here's a good question for you. When was the last time you said no to your flesh? You said no to sin. When was the last time your flesh craved for something and you denied that craving? The outline today will be handled a little bit different than normal. If you get a bulletin on your way, and most of you did, you'll see that our outline's on the back. I'm going to go through the outline quite a bit different than normal. We're going, I'm going to give you point one, and then I'm going to give you point two, and then I'm going to give you point one, letter A, and then I'm going to give you point two, letter A, and then point one, letter B, point two, letter B, and we'll follow that format all throughout the message this morning. Okay, so let's jump right in as we continue our series, Stand for Christ. We consider this sermon title, Are You Denying Yourself? Number one, number one this morning, notice the desires of the flesh. Take your Bibles over to Romans 7. The sermon this morning will be more topical in nature, uh, but um, I believe that you'll uh, we'll see here as we look at these passages uh, exactly what God's Word has for us on this topic. Romans chapter 7, if you find your way over there, Romans chapter 7, the desires of the flesh. Find, uh, when you find Romans 7, look down at verse number 14 with me. The Apostle Paul, maybe uh, the greatest Christian in the New Testament, definitely not perfect. And if you know the life of Paul well, he man definitely had his share of faults. But boy, he was devoted and dedicated to the work of the Lord uh, like, very, like very few have ever been and was responsible for being the catalyst, the spark plug that got the gospel to the unknown world following the life of Christ. Look at verse 14 with me. Paul says this, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual. Paul says, But I am carnal, sold under sin, for what, for that which I do allow, let me, let me back up there, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Look at verse 18. Paul says this, he says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Look down at verse 24. Look down at verse 24. Paul said this, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, from the body of this death? Paul said this, he said, I want to do right. I really do. But I have the hardest time coming through on doing right. He said, while I want to do right, this flesh rises up and battles against me. And I'm trying to do right, and my flesh fights me, and then I end up doing wrong. 
Paul said, I really don't want to do wrong. I really don't. He said, I know what sin is and I know I ought not to do it. He said, but uh, my, my spirit rises up to battle against my flesh and my spirit loses to my flesh. And the next thing I know, I find myself living in sin and doing wrong. And you can almost feel Paul wringing his hands in despair when he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26, Solomon worded it this way. He said, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Anytime you want, your flesh wants something, you should immediately become suspicious. Immediately become suspicious. Even if on the surface there is nothing wrong with what your flesh wants, look below the surface at the motives of your flesh and scrutinize the motives of your flesh. Paul said, I want to do right, but my flesh keeps getting in the way. How many of you this morning have some sort of sinful habit in your life that you just can't break away from? Maybe it's sexual lust. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's a drug. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's overspending. Maybe it's rebellion against authority. The list could go on and on forever. In your heart, you know what it is that uh, you have a hard time with. Anger, bitterness, wrath, uh, whatever it would be deep down inside. And you want to quit, but the desire of your flesh is so great that you seemingly can't quit. Number one, the desires of our flesh. Let's look at number two, our devotion to Christ, our devotion to Christ. Flip over one chapter to Romans 8, verse number 5. For some of you, maybe the same page. Other folks, it might be a page over. Our, we are taking, we are talking about standing for Christ in this mini series. The truth is, we cannot stand for Christ when we are laying down to sin. We cannot stand for Christ when we are laying down to sin. You want to take a stand for Christ, and Satan is right there in your ear saying, You're a hypocrite, man. Yeah, you're standing for Christ now, but look, I know and you know that in your private moment, you struggle with fill in the blank. You cannot adequately stand for Christ when you're laying down to sin. Now, Paul articulated the great struggle he was experiencing in Romans 7 of, of losing the battle to his flesh. Uh, someone I heard years ago, a preacher, do this. Uh, someone keenly observed that Paul used the pronoun I in Romans 7. He used that pronoun 33 times. I, 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 I. When our focus is on ourselves, we will continue to fall and fall and fall and fall. When our focus is on Christ, He can give us victory over our sin. Now, Romans 8 offers us the solution to the failures of the flesh in Romans 7. Romans 8 talks about victory through Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. Anybody want to guess how many times the personal pronoun I is used in Romans chapter 8? Twice. Twice. Two times. You only find the word I twice in Romans 8. And when Paul uses the pronoun I in Romans 8, he's talking about other people. He's talking about his observations of other people, of outside things. You see, when we're focused on self... We lose the battle. When we're focused on Christ and others, God begins to give us victories. Look at Romans 8. Look at verse number 5. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, uh, the, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. 
but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity or at war against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Look at verse 8 again. So then they that are in the flesh, you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. Verse 9, for ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, speaking to Christians. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. For if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is death because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are debtors. We looked at this topic uh, several weeks ago in our, in our grace-giving series. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Look at verse 14. Let's read it together out loud. Ready? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Paul tells us, that if we're going to live victoriously through Christ, then we cannot be in the flesh, and that we are to live a devoted life to pleasing Christ. How? By yielding to the Spirit. Yielding the Spirit. Uh, oftentimes in my life, I've had a sin habit that I've wanted to break. And man, I have put my absolute best effort out there to quit that sin habit. And you know what I have found? Failure after failure after failure after failure. I'm going to quit this. And boy, I, when I was a, a child, I'm just as an example, I'm going to quit lying to my parents. I'm going to start telling the truth. I, I was never really a habitual liar. But as an example. And you, you make every effort and you just keep falling. And you think, I can't stop. Of course you can't. Because you're trying to get a sinful flesh to stop sinning. You say, how do you stop then? You've got to quit trying so hard and you've got to start trusting Christ and yielding to the Spirit of God and making Him the ultimate authority. And when He says no, the answer is no. It's a matter of yielding your stubborn, sinful will to Christ and the Spirit of God and learning to listen to His voice. So here is the tension this morning I want to lay out. And we're going to look at the, the, the details in, in the subpoints. All right? It's the desires of the flesh versus devotion to Christ. Desires of the flesh versus devotion to Christ. All right. How many of you are with me this morning? You know all about this tension in your heart. You know all about wanting to do right and wanting to please, wanting to please God, wanting to do right, and failing because of your flesh and its desires. Raise your hand if you're with me this morning. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If your hand's not up, then you're either not saved or you're dead. Amen? We, we all experience this this morning. Some of you just hate raising your hand in church. I get it. Okay. Let me give you letter A here. Let's jump into, the, let's jump into this battle between the flesh and the spirit. All right. We're going to please Christ. We're going to have to learn to deny our flesh. Letter A, notice social acceptance. Social acceptance. Point one, letter A. Social acceptance. Turn over with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be all throughout the New Testament this morning, so get your Bibles ready to go, ready to roll. We want you engaged. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, you can uh, use the Bible uh, uh, provided for you there 
in the pew in front of you. If you see someone around you that doesn't have a Bible, work to accommodate them if they so desire. And let's make sure everyone can put their eyes on the Scriptures this morning. Um, Everyone, everyone wants to be accepted by those around them. Everyone. We all want to be accepted. Everybody. I've never met a person who doesn't want to be accepted by others around them. Um, You think, oh, not me. I don't care what other people think about me. Um, Some folks care a little less than others, but at the core of who we are, everyone cares what other people think about them. Now, they may put on a good front, uh, but you pick your friends based on those who had similarities with you because you want to be around a crowd of people that accept you for who you are. Uh, So everyone wants social acceptance. Now, why is that? The truth is God built us that way. God made us that way. Nobody likes being the odd one out, um, at least not long term. Oftentimes, we will change chameleon who we are to fit into the crowd we are a part of. And in Matthew 26, we find Peter following Christ at a distance. Now, his, his direction was right. He was following Christ, but his distance was wrong. John was in there while Jesus was being persecuted by the chief priest, uh, by uh, the, the Sanhedrin, by the council. Peter was outside of that. He was sitting by a fire, and because his distance was wrong, even though his direction was right, boy, he put himself around a crowd of unbelievers, and Peter's flesh got the best of him, and he began denying the very Christ that he loved in order to have social acceptance. Look at verse 69. Now Peter sat within the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, Oh, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. Does that mean he sweared? I think that's what that means. 73, and after a while, came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. You talk like a disciple of Jesus. Look at verse 74. Then began he to curse And to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. This is the same guy a few hours later, earlier rather, who said, I'll go to the cross with you. I'll go to the death with you. And Jesus said, oh no, you won't, Peter. Before the cock crows, the rooster crows tomorrow, you will have denied me three times. Now, I just want to say that if Peter, after walking around planet Earth with Jesus Christ, God on Earth, after Jesus, after he followed Jesus for three and a half years, if the great Peter can give in to social pressure and social acceptance, so can I and so can you. So can I and so can you. Some folks are so bent on being accepted, they're people pleasers that they say and do sinful things just to fit in with the crowd around them, even though they know they ought not be doing it. Boy, uh, you're not a drinker, but you'll go out drinking because you want to fit in at work with a boss and get that promotion. You you know you shouldn't go to that Christmas party at work that's just going to be alcohol flowing everywhere and immodest clothing and lust 
all over the place. You know you shouldn't go. But you go anyway because you don't want to be the odd one out at work the next week. Uh, all the time, we, we're not careful, we'll give in to the trends. It's amazing to me. I'll see a trend hit uh, 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 the music industry, and, and, and it's a sinful music industry, and then I see some of our teenagers show up uh, with that trend all over their clothing in their life. Are you giving in to social pressure? Are you giving in to social acceptance? I see clothing trends that don't please God hit the uh, industry and they're all out there. And the next thing you know, Christians are running around following those things and listening to those things and watching those things on TV and behaving in a certain way because we want to fit in with a world that hates our Christ. Social acceptance. Let me give you point two, letter A. In contrast to social acceptance, notice what we ought to be searching for is the Savior's approval. The Savior's approval. Look at Matthew chapter 26 and look at verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus which was said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Once Peter denied the Lord, he heard the sound of the rooster and realized that the prophetic words of Christ had come true. At that very moment, other Gospels tell us that Jesus made eye contact with Peter. What did the eyes of Jesus say when he made contact with Peter's eyes? Peter, you let me down. Peter, why? Peter, I told you so. Peter, Three and a half years of me being loyal to you and you just stabbed me in the back. Peter realized his sin and he went out and he wept bitterly. How discouraged was Peter over his mistake? Even after the Christ resurrected and even after Christ appeared to Peter, Peter was still so despondent and disappointed in himself that he quit and went fishing. Jesus had to sit by Peter at a fish fry breakfast and put his arm around him and say, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And I believe Peter had a hard time even making eye contact with Jesus because the last time he had made eye contact with the Lord was right after he denied Him. My friend, one day we will stand in the presence of our King. We'll stand in the presence of the One who's been loyal to us from eternity past into eternity future. We'll stand before the One who died on the cross for our sins and He's going to look us in the eye. Are you going to be able to look Him back in the eye? Are you going to be able to say, Lord, I stood for You. Lord, I wasn't perfect, but I did my very best to love You. I did my very best to live my life seeking Your approval, not the approval of my peers. Oh, it's great when our, the, the approval of our peers fits in with the approval of Christ. But my friend, some of us this morning are more worried about social acceptance than we are with the Savior's approval. You cannot bear your cross if you're not willing to deny your flesh. You cannot bear your cross if you're not willing to be unpopular in some crowds in order to gain the Savior's approval. Which is it for you this morning? Are you denying yourself? What are you more concerned with, social acceptance or the Savior's approval? Which one has the priority in your day-to-day life? Let's go back to point one and look at letter B. Talk about the desires of the flesh. Let's talk about soul authority. Soul authority. Turn over to James chapter number four. 
James 4 this morning. My flesh is rebellious, and so is yours. I drive down the highway, and I see that the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. And I think to myself, and even sometimes say out loud, our politicians, I won't say what I think, I, I won't even say what I think, because it, it's, not, it's just not good, amen? When are they going to raise these speed limits? You know, if they'd raise these speed limits, they could start enforcing them. Because nobody goes 55, and those who do are in everybody's way, all right? But the truth is, if they put it at 70, people would go 90. Some people still go 90. <laughs> we don't like being told what to do. Nobody in here likes being told what to do. Even if the person telling you has every right to tell you. We don't like it. Now, you may be, uh, your parents may have raised you in such a way where you're respectful to authority and you're submissive to authority. But let's be honest, deep, deep, deep down inside, none of us like being told what to do. None of us. Why? Because we are rebellious. That is what our flesh is. And that rebellion seeps its way out. Some of you in here this morning, you have a problem with every authority figure in your life. You don't like me because I represent spiritual authority. The truth is you don't get along with your boss. You, if you're a lady in here, you don't get along with your husband, especially when he's trying to tell you to do something that you don't want to do. God put him as your head. That's not going to be said in very many churches this morning either. But it's in the Bible. I didn't wrote it, I just quoted it and told it. Amen? <laughs> look at James 4, look at verse 1. From whence come wars... And fightings among you. Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts, the desires of the flesh. Boy, when we do finally go to prayer, it's to get something that makes our flesh happy. Right? I don't understand, God, why I can't get this promotion at work. I've worked and worked and worked and worked, and I've, I've schmoozed up to everyone I've had to, and I've worked hard, and I've, I've showed up early, I've stayed late, and Lord, I really, really want that promotion. But God knows that deep down in your heart, you want that promotion so that you can get a new house or a new car. Anything wrong with a new house or a new car? No, but if it's for vain reasons... It's so that you can be flashy and showy and you can live a certain lifestyle and look like you're better than everybody. Maybe God knows that the problem is you're lusting over something that God does not want you to have. You know, I believe God pours down financial blessings on people who He knows are going to be generous in giving that to the work of the Lord. And we're doing this to God. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And God says, okay, let's give this a shot. And he drops down some extra cash, and we take it, we stick it right in our pocket. Mine, all mine. Get what I can, can when I get, sit on the can. All mine. 
Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. He gives it, and then, boy, you know what? A little bit can go here, but most of it's going out here. How can I help? How can I? God says, you know what? The next time that I, I, I'm going to need to channel money to somebody, I'm going to put it in that guy or that girl's heart so they'll, they'll give it out, and I'm going to drop it right there. No, I'm in charge. It's my money, not God's money. It's my house, not God's house. It's my car, not God's car. My life, not God's life. You lust and war, you fight, you don't have it because you don't ask for it. And then when you do ask, you ask that you can just, just, just satisfy the flesh. How should we be living? Should we be living as I am in charge? No. Look, at, look down at number two. In contrast to soul authority, let's look at letter B under number two, a submissive attitude. A submissive attitude. Look down at James 4. Look at verse number 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. That's where that rebellion comes from, a heart full of pride. God resisteth the proud. You want God to push you away? Be proud. But, in contrast, he giveth grace unto the humble. Here's that word that none of us like. Let's read it all out loud together. Ready? The first word of verse 7. Ready? Here we go. Submit. Some of you men are really good at using that word with your wife. But are you good at using that word with yourself in relationship to God? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. I love verse 8. When we are humbled in our heart, by the way, verse 8 is quoted a lot out of context from the rest of the passage. Verse 8 is a culmination of our behavior from verse 6 and 7. When we seek out God's grace with a heart of humility, when we submit ourselves to God, when we resist the temptation in our heart, when, then, then and only then can we draw nigh to God. And, in, and, in, and as a result, He draws nigh to us. Look at verse 8. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You know who a double-minded person is? Someone who washes the outside, but leaves the inside filthy. I've spent a good chunk of my Christian life having it all together outside. Got the verses memorized. I know how to lead someone to Christ. I know how to help in a church activity. I know how to help in a kids' class. I, 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 I go to Bible college. I, I uh, uh, learn how to, uh, uh, you know, jump in and volunteer and help out at church. The outside is all good, and my hands are clean. And everyone looks at me and says, "That guy right there is a great Christian." And God says, oh, hold on just a minute. I know what's in your heart. I know those sins that you have a white-knuckled grip on, you don't want to let go of. Maybe nobody else knows it, but I know. I know. Here's the real question this morning. Are you willing to submit to God in those areas of sin that are entrenched in your heart? You see, God does not just want partial submission. He wants all of you. He wants all of you. You cannot bear your cross. You cannot stand for Christ. You cannot please the Lord 
if you are the sole authority in your life, bucking against authority all the way, you must seek out that submissive attitude. Let's go back to point one and letter C. So before I give it to you, you, you cannot stand for Christ unless you are bearing your cross. You cannot bear your cross unless you are denying yourself. So the question this morning is, are you denying yourself? Are you more concerned with having sole authority in your life or having a submissive attitude? Number one, letter C, notice sinful appetites. Sinful appetites. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I believe that of all of the ways Satan wins the battle against Christians, he trips them up with sinful, fleshly appetites. Oftentimes, these are developed before we get saved, and then they plague us after we're saved. Sometimes these are developed after we are saved, but while we are in a backslidden state. We allow sinful habits to get strongholds in our life. And then we cannot seem to be able to deny ourselves. They, they have a grip on us. And we can't seem to let them go no matter how hard we try. Look at Ephesians 4. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. Paul tells the church of Ephesus here, he says, "...that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust." I heard a story about a little boy who uh, lived out as just a, a, a poor peasant boy on the street. and um, mom, could, mom was a widowed woman, could barely feed him. And he lived in a kingdom where the king was very rich and most of the people were very poor. And the king had a problem. He, 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 he never had a son and his wife was passed away. And there was no heir to the throne. And so one day the king put on the clothes of regular people and he went down amongst his people and uh, mingled amongst them and met this little eight-year-old boy who is playing out in the dirt and just with sticks and rocks. And uh, the little boy had a, a, a bright smile and a, a gleam in his eye. And the king, his heart was knit to this little boy. And the king went back to his palace and put on his kingly apparel and made his way to this little boy's mother and said, I am the king. And I do not have a son to be an heir of the throne. And I want to take your little boy and bring him into my palace, and I want to train him to be royalty, so that after I'm gone, he can be the next king of this kingdom. The mother began to weep and cry, and the king gave her a handsome ransom, a handsome amount of money to be able to take the boy. And uh, she lost all legal rights to her boy, but her boy moved up from barely having a meal in his stomach and wearing ratty and tattered clothes to being able to live in a palace. Mom was able to come visit occasionally, but for the most part, he was cut off from his former life and he was given this room in this palace that was big and beautiful and fancy furniture and a closet full of, uh, of just uh, kingly type apparel and uh, a wardrobe that was unmatched by any other boy in the kingdom his age. Each morning, the butler would go in his room and would wake him up. Tell him, breakfast will be served in 20 minutes. Please get dressed. He noticed that each morning this boy would come down and he would come down to breakfast a little late. He was never there on time. And the butler got curious as to why. He could sense the king was getting frustrated at the boy's tardiness. And so one day he woke the boy up and he went outside the room and left the door cracked open and he just watched the boy to see what he was doing during that time to get ready. 
He noticed that the boy went over and he opened up the bottom drawer and he would stare down in there at the old, ratty, tattered clothes that he had worn in his previous life. He'd take them out and he'd pick them up and he'd look at them and he'd put them on and look at himself in the mirror. Then he'd take them off and put them back in the drawer and then eventually he'd make his way over to his new clothes and he would put them on. The butler knocked on the door after a few minutes of watching this and He said to the little boy, he said, why are you keeping these ratty clothes? He said, you've moved on. You have a much better life now. And the little boy said, well, I don't ever want to forget where I came from. Don't ever want to forget where I came from. Here's what what I fear with many Christians. You got saved and God asked you to take off those ratty clothes that are sin-stained and sin-torn. God wants you to burn those clothes. Well, many of them, many of us keep them in the bottom drawer. We go back to them and we put them on and we live like we did before we got saved. Oh, maybe not in every area. God says, I want you to take off that former lifestyle. Take off the old man. Well, what does that mean? What exactly are the old, what exactly is the old lifestyle? Look at verse 25. Wherefore, put away lying. Now we're getting some specifics. Speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Look here. Let him that stole steal no more. So we're to put away lying. We're to put away anger. We're to put away stealing. But rather, uh, uh, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he might uh, have to give to him that needeth. Look at verse 29. What else are we supposed to put away? Let no corrupt communication, cursing, taking God's name in vain, uh, being vile with our language, dirty jokes. Let no corrupt communication, slander, gossip, backbiting, uh, bitter words. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But in contrast, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace in the ears. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, no unclean person nor covetous man uh, which is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul tells the church of Ephesus, there are some sinful habits that you once had that were a part of you and you were lost, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working within you, these things have got to go. They've got to go. They don't belong in the life of a Christian. You cannot be a disciple of Christ and hold on to these things. I want you to write this down. This is not going to be on the screen. Find a spot on the bulletin there to write this down. When it comes to the desires of the flesh, Christian, Christians must learn to live by two principles. I've given this out a handful of times in church before. I encourage you to write it down again. The first one here is the principle of moderation. The principle of moderation. Now, just because my flesh wants it does not make it sinful. It's almost lunchtime. I don't need to remind most of you because your stomach's telling you it's almost lunchtime. You're getting hungry. Is it a sin to eat? Nope. Not. 
Is it a sin to overeat? It is. Is it a sin to eat foods that will make you overweight and hinder your health? It is, especially to do so on a repetitive basis. Oh, pastor, don't preach on gluttony. Look, I just lost 20 pounds. I'm preaching on gluttony. Amen? (laughs) This is something I've battled with. God gave all of us the means to reproduce and keep the planet going. Amen. Anything wrong with that? Is that a natural desire in an adult body? Absolutely. What about when that appetite gets out of hand and you're married, but what your spouse offers you isn't enough to satisfy what you want? So you turn to pornography or the secretary at work or you head to a massage parlor. Desires of the flesh. We need to learn moderation. Just because your flesh wants it doesn't mean it's wrong. But boy, you better do it in God's way. How about this principle? The principle of moderation. How about the principle of prohibition? The principle of prohibition. This kind of fits back in with soul authority. If God says no, then the answer is no. Look not upon the wine when it is red in the cup. You know what that means? When the wine has become fermented, don't even look at it. You say, Pastor, I can drink in moderation. I have not found one good thing that comes out of drinking alcohol. I know there are people in this room right here that disagree with me. Just by the sheer number of folks that are here, somebody disagrees with me. But boy, I have studied this out, and God could not be any more clear. Being drunk is a sin. Being drunk is a sin. Alcohol today and wine today is made to make you drunk. Wine in God's day, in Jesus' day, when the New Testament was written, not all of it was meant to make you drunk. Wine today is made for the purpose of creating intoxication within you very quickly. God says no. You say, but I want it. I'm sorry. You learn to live by the principle of prohibition. The Bible says, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 20, that we are property of God. Property of God. That means He gets to call the shots what we put in our bodies. How many Christians are not truly standing for Christ because of a sinful habit they can't kick? Again, Matthew 16, 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What are the desires of the flesh? Social acceptance. uh, uh, Soul authority. Sinful appetites. Let me give you number two, letter C here. Notice spiritual ambition. Spiritual ambition. Look back with me at Ephesians 4 and look at verse number 24. And that ye put on the new man. So we're taking off the old man and we're putting on in its place the new man. That's the Holy Spirit. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Look with me at verse number 32. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So in place of wrath and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and filthy talk, in, in, in place of jesting and fornication and lust, we're supposed to put on kindness and tenderness and a Christ-like spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. See then that you walk 
circumspectly or walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, you have a plan with your life, a plan with your schedule. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, amen, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. I look around at our culture today, at our boys and our girls that are my age and under. I'm talking about millennials down through Gen Z. And I see it a little bit in older generations, but there is an epidemic of it in people my age and down. I'm going to tell you what I see. I see people who are wandering aimlessly through life. Uh, You know, they wake up each day and they don't know what to do with their life. And, And you know, all the jokes about living in mom's basement. I'm not even talking about people who are living in mom's basement. I'm I'm also talking about people in some cases that have their own place or are married. And there's a big thing missing in their life, and it's the word passion, ambition, drive. Listen, the more time I spend in my Bible reading it and praying, the more passion and ambition I have to want to become like Jesus. Some of you in here, part of the reason why you can't overcome a sinful habit in your heart is you don't want Jesus enough in your life. Where is the ambition and the drive that says, get out of my way, there's the Lord, and I want a relationship with Him. And I'm going to push it all out of the way, and I'm going to fight and fight and fight, and if there's a mountain in front of me, I'm going to climb that mountain, and I'm going to find Jesus, and I'm going to love Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Boy, we need a generation of people who say, I'm going to have some drive and some ambition about me. I'm going to get out of bed in the morning. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sleep past uh, uh, 6.30, 7 a.m. I'm going to get up and I'm going to get after it. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to go to work. 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 So many people sitting on their tailbone doing nothing. And, oh, I have problems in my life. And, oh, my life's hard. Hey, how about you get up and go do something with yourself? How about you learn to walk with God? We fall into sin because we're lazy. We fall into sin because we're undisciplined. We have no schedule to our life. I'm not angry. I'm just trying to light a fire under you this morning. I'm going to put this out here right here. Okay? When I became a man, I put away childish things. Video games are childish things. Forty years old, you're up till two in the morning playing Call of Duty. What are you doing? Go to bed. Am I meddling too much this morning? talking about denying yourself. Let's finish up the message here. Number one, letter D. Smooth avenues. Smooth avenues. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse number 4. 
Many Christians believe a narrative that living for Jesus is, is to be more easy than it is hard. Some folks that are trying their best to live for Jesus are shocked when hardships come into their life. They ask, why would God let this happen to me? Oh, I've been there. Others have grown to a place where they understand that hardships come to everyone saved and lost. But they endure the hardships with gritted teeth and hope that they will go away quickly and those hardships will be few and far between. What they desire is smooth sailing, happy roads, life filled with earthly success and great health. Paul said in Ephesians 3, in essence, he said, I've had earthly success in sunny days. And he said it means nothing to me. Look at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. And Hebrew of the Hebrews is uh, it's touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the truth. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul had every credential that there was to have. He had worked hard and worked his way to the top of the Roman world and the religious world. Once Paul gave his life to Jesus, Paul said, My easy, successful, cush life means nothing to me in comparison of the life I am living for Christ. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Listen, when God sends good times your way and life is easy, it's okay to rejoice. But can I just remind us, the Scripture tells us that we're to rejoice in the good times and the bad. It says rejoice evermore. In everything, give thanks. Even when you lose your job. Even when you lose your health. Even when you have an unexpected expense that drains the savings account dry or runs a credit card up. In everything, give thanks. You see, many Christians, they get bitter at God because their life got difficult. They lost someone they loved. Their life is unsettled. And they think to themselves, God, if you loved me, wouldn't you make my life easy? And God looks down at us and says, I didn't let Jesus' life be easy, and I love him. He's my only begotten. Why do you think that you have some right to have a smooth, easy life? Some of you in here have felt betrayal of someone that you love deeply. And, And to be honest, if you're honest with yourself, there's a little bit of seed of bitterness toward God springing up in your heart. You wonder why God would let that happen. Your plans are ruined. You see, we learn to deny our flesh. We understand that smooth avenues are not necessarily a guarantee 
when we learn to bear a cross. And I just want to remind you this morning that a cross was an instrument of Roman torture. That's what we've been called to bear. Number two, letter D, let's finish up the message. We see suffering abundantly. Suffering abundantly. Look down with me at Philippians 3. Look at verse 8. Paul said, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may know Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection. Paul said, I don't want to just know the victory, I want to know the defeat. He said, I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable into His death. I think of the old hymnal that says, Must I be carried to the skies on beds of flowery ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Why do we think that others should have to suffer We should just be set to live a life of ease in Zion. Matthew 16.24 again, Then said Jesus unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. You cannot carry your cross and follow Jesus until you first learn to deny yourself. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you denying yourself? Which is winning the battle? The desires of your flesh or your devotion to Christ? You cannot stand for Christ if you're laying down a sin. What is it that God has put His finger on in your life this morning? What is it that needs to change? Where is the flesh winning? How can we better deny ourselves? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Stand for Jesus sounds so romantic. It sounds so wonderful. It sounds so heroic and victorious. You cannot stand for Jesus publicly until you learn to live for Jesus privately. Those areas of your heart that only you and God know about, maybe one, two close people know about. You say, Pastor, I've tried to defeat these things before and I just can't. You need to quit trying and you need to learn to submit to the Spirit of God. You need to learn to make Him your sole authority. How many of you this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, God put my finger on something in my heart where I need to start denying myself. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? God showed me something in my heart today that needs a change. I'm thankful for a large majority of you that raised your hand. That means you're, you're being honest with yourself. Many of you in here wanted to raise your hand, but 
because you're a private person, you didn't. But you know there are things that need to change. Let me just ask this question to you this morning. What plan are you going to put in place to start submitting to the Lord and letting Him help you change? It's a process. What plan are you going to put in place? It's not enough to just raise your hand and come down to an altar and pray or pray in your pew and leave unchanged. There needs to be something in your life that changes. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, the piano is going to begin playing. My friend, if the Lord is working on your heart, this altar is here to give you an opportunity to kneel and lay that sin there and leave it there. God to give you the victory. Boy, if the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, don't hesitate to come down here and bend a knee. Let's leave here changed people this morning where we get rid of these things so we can adequately stand for our Savior. As the piano plays, the altar's open. Will you come and kneel? Will you tell the Lord, I'm going to start denying myself? I'm going to start saying no to sin and yes to the Savior. Many of you are coming. Will you join them? cannot stand for Christ if we're laying down a sin. We cannot bear our cross and live like the world at the same time. here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, my friend, you cannot go to heaven apart from Christ and your pure faith in Him. Romans 10 tells us that you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You can't remember a time in your life where you've bowed your head and called on the name of Jesus to be your Savior. Boy, let me encourage you to do that today before it's eternally too late. Pastor Andrew standing down front here. He'd love to take the Bible. If you're a lady, let a lady take the Bible and show you from the Scriptures how you can make peace with God and you can go to heaven someday. Our baptismal waters are ready. We would love to help you take that next step if you're saved and being baptized. If you're baptized and saved but not yet joined our church and would like information on that, we'd be happy to provide that for you. Where you are today, let's continue to pray. Let's make decisions for the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for our time here today, I believe you've moved in our midst in a powerful way. I believe that Christians are making decisions that will help them to be more adequate in their stand for you. Lord, today, help us not to leave here solely being hearers. May we leave here putting some things in action. Help us to submit ourselves and to draw nigh. Help us to be humble. Lord, give us victory. 
Thank you, God, for your word that's so powerful and sharp. Lord, able to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.